0: Welcome back to Leveling the Playing Field, and Happy New Year. I am Bobby Sue Doyle Hazard. For those of you new to the pod, welcome. Each week, I interview another woman who works in sports. All of these women come from different parts of the sports world, have different types of roles, and that are at different stages in their careers. My goal is to shine a light on the amazing women in the industry while providing some possibility models for those young women and men looking to embark on a career in sports. So make sure you hit that subscribe button and share the pod with a friend who will like it. Also, you can join in on the conversations in our private Facebook group. Just search Leveling the Playing Field Group on Facebook or on Twitter and Instagram at LTPFpod. We had a nice few weeks off, aside from my being sick the last two. I'm glad to mostly have my voice back. It might get a little gravelly here, so bear with me. I hope the beginning of 2019 has been great for you all. We are looking forward to some very cool guests coming up in the near future. And this week's guest is Donna Orender. Donna is a powerhouse in the sports world. Not only did she play professional basketball in the original women's basketball league, she spent 18 years at the PGA and was the president of the WNBA during one of its most pivotal moments. During her time at the PGA and at the W, Donna helped create the way that professional golf and women's basketball programming was created, packaged, and distributed. Her natural curiosity and propensity for asking, why not, have served her very well. She is the CEO and founder of Orenda Unlimited and Generation W, where she creates programming and events to empower girls and women. Last year, her first—or not first, I'm sorry, but a book of hers um, was published called Wowsdom, The Girl's Guide to the Positive and the Possible. and focuses on teaching young girls and the young girls within us all that they can do anything. Also in 2018, Donna was honored by the Women's Sports Museum at, uh, with a Trailblazer Award. And I was very fortunate to meet Donna at their gala. Um, I hope you enjoy this interview with Donna Orunder. Hi, Donna. Hi, Bobby Sue. Good <laughs> nice to be with you. Thanks for coming on Leveling the Playing Field. Everyone's going to be so excited to hear this.
1: Oh, that's so nice. I love the name of this podcast, Leveling the Playing Field, because I just I just find it a defining way to look at life. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to our conversation.
0: Me, too. And I know um, you have had such an incredible career that the women and, and men, we do have some some men folk who listen to us, um, are going to be really interested in how you made the progress you did. So um, okay. That's
1: fine. don't make it sound like it's over. It's You know, it, it, of
0: course not. Okay. No, it's never over. I mean, until it's really over, but you know, that goes dark. Um, So can you um, tell us how you fell in love with sports?
1: Oh, interesting. I did fall in love with sports. I was young. I was a young girl. And um, I actually think I got the cues probably from my dad. Somehow I knew sports was important to him. And I think I love this idea of playing And of being on a field and competing and being with other people. And I think I just got this incredible rush and probably this very positive loop of goodness that came from competing. And so um, I don't know. There just wasn't a sport that I didn't want to try to play at some level.
0: Which you were actually really good at a lot of sports. I was reading up on you and... You, you participated at like pretty high levels in high school in five different sports.
1: Let's see. Yeah. I, I mean, I played, it's funny. I think about this a lot because I played field hockey, which to this day, I still love that sport. I have this fantasy in my head. I can still get a stick and go out there and play. And I just, <laughs> an unbelievable sport. So I played field hockey and softball and volleyball and basketball. I ran track. What did you um, run? One year, I even vaulted on the gymnastics team, which was insane because the idea now Stop is it. Really hard. I, it is, you know, it's beyond my comprehension. And then, of course, I play tennis. So there you go.
0: Oh, my gosh. So what did you run in track?
1: I think I think I attempted. Um, I think I ran the 400. Okay. Or the, is it the 400 or the yep. 440? Yep. Yeah, I think I ran the 400. It wasn't a speed demon, but I had that combination of fast twitch slow twitch whatever you need yeah um, maybe you need more fast twitch than I had but 400 was my my event
0: so you I mean you and I have met in person you're you're not a you know teeny tiny like you're a, a taller woman you know compared to like a gymnast and you tried the vault yeah that's incredible yeah.
1: Yeah. And it doesn't look like anything you see anywhere close to any. competition. <laughs> I, I did this layout something or other. I don't know why. I, I, obviously I had this curiosity to try everything. And I think that curiosity actually, you know, continues to push me forward into areas today that I'm mm-hmm. actually kind of grateful for. So that's good.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it goes to, and you know, I'm sure we'll talk about this over the next period of time, but you have this consistent, um, question that you ask yourself, which is, well, why not?
1: Exactly. Why not? And I'm trying to become a surfer now, uh, more than I ever have. (laughs) It's like, oh my gosh, can I do this? And then, you know, if I, if I go through all the reasons that would prevent me from doing it, it would be debilitating. So I just say, why not?
0: I I love it. I do. How did you, um, decide on Queens College?
1: Um, actually, it wasn't my first choice, the truth be known. Um, I had a scholarship offer from the University of Chicago. It was an academic scholarship because there really wasn't many um, athletic scholarships at that time. I had an athletic scholarship to the University of New Mexico, which is one of the first ones offered in the country. Um, And then there was this unbelievable coach, Lucille Cavallis, that was leading this incredible pioneering program in women's basketball at Queens College in New York City. And I loved basketball. I had found that to be the sport that not only spoke to me then, but speaks to me now. It's, a, it's my news. It's my poetry. It's my dance. I just love it. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember sitting in the gym as like a 15-year-old or 16-year-old, probably a 15-year-old, watching them compete for the national championship against Immaculata. And I knew then that I was going to go to school there because I wanted to play. I knew they had great academics, um, but I wanted to play for one of the top coaches in the nation and compete for a national championship. And so Queens College, it was.
0: Um, What was so revolutionary about what that coach was doing at Queens?
1: Um, She was leading a program of excellence that was determined to be the best. She looked at female athletes, all the players that played on her team as um, athletes first, and she pushed all of us to our physical and emotional limits. I will tell you, and I tell her to this day, because um, I'm grateful that we all keep in touch, that the lessons she taught us about the game, her fundamental understanding of basketball, um, is still very much part of the way I look at the game and the way I teach the to when I have that opportunity, whether it's with my kids or at a clinic or something like that. She really pretty amazing.
0: Uh, one of the, the amazing things about your time at Queens College is that you were a member of the team. You you were the first women's game at MSG.
1: Yeah, so no, no, right. So we, you know, it's so funny because when I, I give this talk, I'll say, you know, why not give up an academic scholarship to one of the best universities in the land and go play basketball at Queens College. And yet, you know, at that point, who knew we would make history by becoming the first women's team to ever play in the Mecca of basketball?
0: Right.
1: Madison That's Square Garden. And it was extraordinary. I can feel what I felt as a fresh 18 year old. I think I had just turned 18 like a week before. How it felt walking into that arena with twelve thousand plus people cheering, signs everywhere. They played Helen Reddy's music, you know, I am of your which actually brought tears to my eyes. I wasn't even sure why on the layup line, mm-hmm. but it was really, really so special.
0: That's I mean, that's just a memory that you keep forever in like I'll I'll yeah,
1: that, a doubt. yeah
0: a doubt. It, it for me, like in my life, it's similar to I went to the the initial women's march in d c um uh-huh. right after the Trump election, and like it was the first time I'd been part of something like that, and the, I had that same reaction just being like, this is incredible, um mm-hmm. and knowing that you're a part of a moment in history that like you never thought you'd be a part of
1: right. And, you know, you learn not only about yourself, but it's this idea of building community, especially communities of women mm-hmm. who come mm-hmm. together around something, right? It's, it's all about this, you know, singular purpose and focus that allows us to combine our differences and, you know, where we come from. All those differences kind of blend away as we unite about all the things that we have in common and where we want to go. And I am always grateful for that. And to this day, I'm always grateful to be able to be amongst a community of women. I, you know, speak around the country to lots of them. I was actually to the university of Maryland for a a conference this past week, and it is so energizing, really Mm -hmm. energizing.
0: I, I get that same feeling. I've, I've only been, um, fortunate enough to be asked to speak at a couple of, of women's events. Um, the, the university that I went to, UMass has a women of Eisenberg event. It's their business schools. Um, conference for the young women there and I get to go back uh this year Uh, I was there this past year and it's it's so fun to be in front of all these young women and to be able and and you know peers too and to be able to um come together and exchange ideas but also to like show people it can be done
1: right absolutely absolutely
0: how did you decide on a psych degree
1: Um, I thought that understanding human behavior was something that would be of value, you know, no matter what career you chose Mm -hmm. at that point in my life. I think my, again, one of my defining, um, I guess, I guess one of the defining things in my life is I always knew I wanted to try to make a difference in the world I wanted to try to help people. And I thought if I took a psychology degree, I was going to go to social work school that my way to help people would be through um, understanding them better and being able to um, be a support and a resource uh, through the the work of psychology and and sociology.
0: Interesting. You ended up, you know, using that pretty well, but in a very different way, I feel like, based on your career. I
1: I remain amazed to this day is that... um, I was fortunate to be able to be taught those skills, um, be surrounded in a community of help and then, of course, sports is this international language mm-hmm. um, that gives you access to so many people so in terms of trying to make a difference in the world, yes, it's worked out that way um, It's just through a different venue
0: right when um when you were about to graduate. And you were trying to figure out next steps. When did you learn about the WBL and how did that end up? How did you end up in that first women's league?
1: Um, The best I can recall, you know, I was, I was very active. I played in the Rutgers league up in Harlem. I played on an AAU team with our coach Lamar, God rest his soul. And I think that's how it happened. You know, I got a call and says, hey, we're putting together this women's league. Would you be interested in playing? And I didn't have to think very hard about that. (laughs) I mean, I was in graduate school at the time. I was 21, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, I was going to the Adelphi School of Social Work. And I figured that I would figure it out somehow, but I was going to play for sure.
0: What did that league look like at the, I mean, obviously, you know, whenever there's the first league of anything it's uh it's going to be a little i don't know like sometimes it just doesn't work right and you were there for three years um when comparing it to the w you know what is that how different was it
1: you know, uh, how different was it? Oh, it's like different
0: forever. <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, but, I mean, you know, I would go to school in the morning. I would do my, um, I would do my internship at that point in time. I was working with a group of high school pregnant girls at um, not far away, luckily from our practice gym. I would do my homework in my car, then put on my practice clothes and we play, you know, we practice in this little gym out on Long Island. You know, if we had a game in California, there were times when we would fly to the game, change, play the game, and then take a red eye back. Oh my God. (laughs) Now, um, there were fans, uh, although I have this wonderful picture. It's not that wonderful, but of, I can't, I'm looking for it now. I am on the free throw line. When I, I mean, my first team I played for were the New York Stars. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm on the free throw line and there's a picture of me and there's no one in the stands behind me. Oh no. (laughs) Oh no. And then we played in Alumni Hall, which was the gym of DePaul. You know, Mm -hmm. there was always like four or 5,000 people there. So, you know, like, just like now, cities had different, um, different fan bases. Right, right. We didn't have the power of the NBA or the resources of the NBA, Um, but there was really something quite special about it. And I knew every day I got up, the biggest decision I had to make was whether at that point we had stripes on our socks, whether they would match my shorts. And um, I felt privileged and blessed to do something. I loved so much when so many people didn't have that opportunity.
0: It makes me think. It makes me think of um, some of the women's professional football leagues that are in existence right now. That you know, when compared to, you know, why haven't they gotten that big, you know, support like the WNBA has with the NBA, right? And the the difference that having that backing can can make. Um, because I feel like with women's tackle football, you, you, could, you could make that a business if you put the resources behind it. You could make it successful.
1: Um, yeah. Listen, at the end of the day, there's no divine right that says women deserve to have these businesses, right? I do believe we deserve um, for a lot of different reasons, uh, culturally, socially, economically, you know, there's a belief system that conspires against women having these things. But we have to get out there and be and, and work towards bringing down those barriers, finding the right business models, and then working our butts off to make sure that they're successful. And in doing that, we have to build a bigger belief system behind it. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. Um, how did your experience at the WBL help get you into working for network sports TV?
1: Oh, uh, I was an athlete. I can, I can walk the walk, talk the talk, speak the language. And there weren't many of us, which actually um, made it difficult. But, you know, when you were, especially then, you know, television sports, you know, a lot of it's populated by tons of guys who love sports. Right. Um, there were very, very few of them that could say they were a professional athlete who competed at their highest level. And so um, I always felt that that was an advantage for me. Because not only did I have experience um, in sports, but I also understood. I began to have a good understanding of the business of sport, and so I thought that was really valuable. I think when I was also playing for the Chicago Hustle, um, I was I did on-air news reporting, and I also had a cable television show, and so I really began to understand the media behind sports, and so that really also gave me a great segue into working at ABC at the time. Wait, what was
0: your your show? Oh god, well, it was called an
1: out of left field. Oh. Out of left field. That's what it was called.
0: And what, what did what was it?
1: Uh it was like a, I would I would interview um, you know, sports owners and athletes. Like I think I had Rod Carew on my show. I had um like the owner of the White Sox. God, like I, I still have I still have my notes from them. Oh, that's yeah. so great. Yeah. That was fun. That was fun. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, geez. Alexa just talked to me. That's so creepy sometimes. Um, So. Sorry. sorry. She's really. Now, if you
1: say, don't say Alexa, because I have one by my computer. And when you do, then she answers here. Now that is really bizarre.
0: No, she's like being creepy with me right now. And then like, see what they say. See what they say. Yeah. Um, What I love is how you seemed to just take, you know, the glimmer of an opportunity and turn it into something so much bigger. So because you did some of that work when you were at the WBL and you got into, um, uh, sports TV or TV sports, however you want to term it, you know, you began your own production company and then you end up at the PGA tour for 18 years and you, 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 got into negotiating the broadcast rights deals that's phenomenal yeah yeah Yeah. I mean yeah yeah so (laughs) I'm like I'm not sure that you know everybody optimizes those those moments in time the way that you have
1: um I don't know how to address that I just know (laughs) that I I think I have um a very active curiosity Mm -hmm. about life in general, about the opportunity to achieve, to bring your best, to do your best, to further and advance whatever you're working on on behalf of others. Um, I have to accept at this stage of my life as I look at my patterns, and I always encourage people to look at the patterns of your life. They're there to be seen. You have to take a step back and really look. Um, that, That, you know, just something that, I do that I, that gives me pleasure to do, um, because I am highly motivated by, you know, this idea of making a difference, making an impact, Mm -hmm. um, you know, being able to look at the white space in front of you and say, okay, what, what, what's not there that could or should be.
0: And so, you know, when you're at the PGA tour, you, you helped change the way they were doing these deals, Right.
1: Yes, it was a, a, a significant, it was a total sea change of how television for golf was previously um, not only negotiated, but then represented on television. Correct. We, we did, we created so many things that you see today were created in the initial big negotiation and then were refined in subsequent negotiations.
0: What were some of those changes? If you, well,
1: yeah, we, we formed, you know, we had early round television, but we formalized early round television as a package. We created like seasons, if you will, right? We really, you know, like a lot of the stuff was there, but we then took it and formalized it and, you know, wrapped it up in a bow so that the networks can see it and we can build, you know, the Florida swing. Now some of these things have evolved uh, obviously to their next iterations, but at that point Mm -hmm. you had the Florida swing and you had the West coast swing and all those kinds of things. We created the world golf championships, at that point in time, this idea of creating these special exclamation points of world events that included the whole world. You know, we did those things. You know, it's funny because it's in my garage now, but believe it or not, we did the very first Internet driven you know, streaming event on the 17th hole. We broke the Internet, quote unquote. I mean, we did over a million streams. I think people <laughs> forgot that. Um, but we did that. We were always looking for what was Knew what mm-hmm. we can try how we can bring golf to the fans in a more interesting um engaging way it was exciting was exciting times very exciting times
0: yeah i mean i was thinking your your last um let's say 6 to 8 years there were were the, the years that the internet was really just starting to hit mainstream and you know into 2005 so it, that's when so many of the digital rights started when it comes to, like, say, banner ads or things along those lines. And, you know, we weren't full on into streaming like we are today. But, yeah, they, there were little glimmers of that, including the one that you all did. Um, keeping up with all of that had to have been incredible.
1: Yeah, oh, was great. It's great. And I'm still so excited by it today. I just loved it, and I, you know, the, the great thing is you get to talk to all the leaders in all different industries that can impact what you're working on, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, I um, I just always enjoyed that, whether it was um, technology or consumer goods, or um, I'm just trying to think the depth and breadth. Oh, you know, it could be you know golf courses. Clearly, that's of our you know part of our family business, so you know that was also great. You know, the idea of building you know fan bases and Um, and media of course yeah it's all great
0: this spring why not get out of the cold and follow your favorite baseball team to Arizona for Cactus League spring training Arizona's Cactus League in Greater Phoenix boasts 15 teams at 10 stadiums and they're all within a 50 mile radius you could do like a spring training road trip and see all of the teams wouldn't that be cool Spring training is so much fun with tons of accessibility to players and a real true small park feel. I love spring training. It makes me so happy. When you're not at one of the ballparks, you can wander around the city where there are amazing restaurants and bars nearby, including tons of craft breweries. Arizona is known for its incredible landscapes and thrilling outdoor adventures from hiking and biking to hot air balloons or I don't know, some skydiving maybe. Arizona has you covered. If you're planning on bringing kiddos to spring training, which I highly recommend, Arizona has tons of family-friendly resorts and hotels that offer plenty of fun for kids of all ages, including water parks, horseback rides, games and activities. And honestly, spring training is truly the best. I am fortunate to live near the other league and I'm just telling you, Arizona's beautiful anyway, but you throw arizona beauty with spring training baseball your kids are never going to forget it so plan your spring training get away at visit arizona.com slash spring training that's visit arizona.com slash spring training how were you approached to to make the leap over to the wnba as president uh, i'm sorry How are you, how, how was that presented to you? Um,
1: It was real easy. The phone rang. (laughs) uh, I always tell people when the phone rang, what should you do? You should pick it up. Why not? Although in this day and age with robocalls, I have to tell you, I look at that number more than once because it is so annoying.
0: Or if you're Um, me and and you have.
1: My office, the phone rang. I picked it up and it was Adam Silver. And uh, Adam Silver and I have been friends for many, 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 many years. Um, you know, we, had, he had actually organized a group between Adam. It was Adam, me and Roger Goodell. We called ourselves a little technology SWAT team. And we would get together and talk about how <laughs> technology was impacting sports at the time in each of our leagues and, you know, try to brainstorm if there were things we could do together or not. Um, and he said, Hey, uh, it's time for us to have a new president of the WNBA. Would you be interested? And that's how it started.
0: Did you have any hesitation? Um, you know, Tremendous hesitation. Tremendous. <laughs> yeah. Tremendous hesitation. Um, I had an unbelievably great job.
1: Honestly, I had a, a phenomenal, phenomenal job. Um, and <clears throat> while I was starting to have, and I was there for 17 years, I was, you know, senior most in the company. I was, you know, check all the boxes for things that you want in the job. I had started to detect a little bit of in myself myself you know, perhaps what would, what could be next. Mm -hmm. Um, And so even with that, you know, I was leaving a sport. I had just helped lead a negotiation for a billion dollar deal that had never happened before. Tiger Woods was coming on. My kids were young. I lived four miles from the office. My family was so happy. You know, why would I leave to go to a league where, you know, people were talking about it would be dying, (laughs) It didn't have anywhere near the same kind of, you know, backing. I didn't think. So, yeah, I had lots of I had lots of reservations.
0: Did you. Um, were you ever unsure of yourself?
1: Huh. Interesting question. Um, I don't know that I was unsure of myself because ultimately, um I felt that I had the skills that it would, would require. They were tra- very transferable, more transferable than I even anticipated mm-hmm. But no, I don't I don't I don't think that was the case, honestly.
0: I um when when you talk about you were starting to see or feel within yourself what might be next, you know, for for people that I know a lot of times it's when they start to feel a little too comfortable that they're like, "Eh, what do I want to do now? Um, Were you kind of at that space? Were you looking at?
1: I I mean, listen, I wasn't thinking I was going to, I had to be the commissioner of the the PGA tour. Although, (laughs) um, you know, you laugh, but on the other hand, like, why not? Somebody had, and this is interesting to me now, and I don't mean to give anyone offense and I shouldn't even have to apologize. But if you had all the skill set that I had, if you had accomplished the business objectives that I had at that business, it wasn't unreasonable to think that I would be a candidate, but no. I was a woman. Right. And I had a board member say to me, you know, you're an anomaly. And I'm like, wow, uh, I'm, I'm not hearing that as a compliment from you, even though I know you believe and support everything I've done for this company. Um, and I don't think the timeline was right now because I had a boss who was very well doing an amazing job and he wasn't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, So, you know, the question says, okay, is, you know, and I think everybody should always ask themselves those questions. Where are you? What am I doing? What brings me value? Where am I driving value? And, you know, is this where I should be for now? Healthy questions, good questions. And I think that was kind of part of it, all of it for me.
0: Oh, for sure. I also, you know, one of the other questions that I'm constantly asking myself is, am I still growing? And okay. and you know when I start to get bored, that's usually when I know I'm not growing anymore because things are becoming routine or or you know, um, yeah, a little too routine or you know I don't feel challenged. Yeah,
1: that's right. I mean that, that's 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 exactly right. The I mean, you know ask yourself how do I how do I lay on another like I have people I I, I mentor a tremendous uh, amount of people. And you know, I'm always thinking, okay, what can you generate that will create that challenge? And then what is controlled out, you know, the things that controlled outside of you can are they exclusively controlled outside of you? Where can you have impact? And then for your own self, right? How do you restructure? I just wrote this, um, this actually this little thing for LinkedIn about the value of time, and the holidays coming up. Hmm. And you know, the question is, is how can you use this time for the holidays to you know make a really positive impact in your life and the life of others? And it's really simple, right? For me, I you know, what I'm, I'm recommending people do is like read a book, mm-hmm. sleep more and connect with those that you love. And, you know, that would be a great use of time in the overall life of busy that
0: we live. Right, right. right.
1: I mean, it, I'm always telling my kids, you don't have to have a summit meeting with somebody <laughs> to work with these
0: issues. Right. And, you know, if one of the funny things for me is I look this time of year and you know i don't have like a whole ton of family and around or things like that so i recognize the the luxury of being the single childless girl right now (laughs) um but i i i take serious amounts of time to look at you know, where those areas where I do want to grow over the next year or, you know, setting new goals, thinking about, you know, where I want to see myself and never in a very structured plan, because I think that sometimes you get too caught up in those very structured plans, but in a a way that allows me to recognize that I can do bigger, greater things and start maybe making moves in those directions. Right.
1: Right. That's exactly right.
0: And then sleep. Lots of sleep.
1: Write them down, put them up in front of you on a wall. Right. Right. does not have to be big and onerous. It's simple. And we need a reminder. Right. Every day. Yeah. Because life is so filled with noise, 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 noise,
0: noise, noise. Well, and I'm, I'm the type of person who is obsessed with, um, like, um, tactile, like hard copy planners, so every year I get a new planner. And so the one that I got this year is so absurdly goal oriented. It's amazing. <laughs> and, and that's what I'll be working on.
1: That's good. Yeah. I mean, I, I, honestly, I, I think that's really kind of important. Um, it, it, you know, everything happens. It, it happens fast. So make sure you get in. No one's going to make sure you get in what you want to do more than you. So you got to do it.
0: Right. Your years at the W um, were were pretty pivotal years, I feel like, for that league, Um, especially with all the new digital that was happening, um, Mm -hmm. with you know, just really growing the the base of people who who knew about the league.
1: Yeah, I, i I appreciate I appreciate you calling that out. It was very pivotal, right? Because it was a time when the leagues, all of the key leagues, any way you measure your business, were all down mm-hmm. for, you know, many, many years. And so every day, <laughs> are you going to be here tomorrow is the question. Right. Now, it's very difficult to build a business when everybody's wondering whether you're going to be there tomorrow. That's not where people want to invest their time, money, energy, resources, anything. Right. So that was the first thing we had to turn around is really this belief system about whether we were worthy to be there. I, 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 <laughs> that, that drove me crazy. Um, and whether we were going to be there. Um, and we did a lot of new things there, too. I mean, we, uh, I forget the name of the system, but we built the digital, uh, we built the digital system that brought games to fans. It, what, it's not a major, distri- it's not a mass distribution model, but at least it began to make the WNBA available to its core fan base around the country. Mm-hmm. And I would tell you, building that internally to convince people internally that it had value took a lot of time. And then, you know, externally, but we got there. And now you can see it's a, it's a much bigger thing. It's accepted and all the leagues are using it. Yes. <laughs> so i was pretty proud of that. You know what I mean? In terms of creating something of value for the league. Well, and at the and, time- you know, there- We built the we built sponsorship. Like it was, you know, we hit, not only that, it was the time of the recession. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we had the greatest growth in sponsorship of any league during that window. And um, we're also really proud of that. The absolute dollars- Uh, you know, it was hard to push them to a number that we really needed, but we continued to grow and continue to get more companies involved. And all that did was build the belief system that there was value and worth (coughs) in the WNBA and actually rallied a community of great enough size and depth to stop asking the question. Yes, we were going to be there. And yes, our product is really good. And yes, you should invest.
0: Around that time, there were I'm trying to remember, was there even a TV deal? Yes. Yes. Not only did we have a TV
1: deal, but we amplified the TV deal. We had the best ratings in the history, you know, other than the first year where you had some real spikes, we had the best ratings in the history of the league.
0: Right. I I guess I, sorry, I I termed that, uh, before you had there been a TV deal. Yeah. There had been.
1: was. Yes, 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 there was.
0: So, um,
1: ESPN deal was the first one where we, I think uh, our negotiation was
0: the first one we had actually got rights fees. Oh, good. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so funny story for you about me and the W. Um, when I was in undergrad at UMass, um, Bill Sutton was one of oh. my professors.
1: Oh my God, love him, love him.
0: Yes, everyone does. <laughs> and um, I believe... I. My memory's always a little fuzzy, but I'm pretty positive that we actually did, it was before your time at the W, um, but we did some sort of marketing project for the W through him. And to this day, I still have the portfolio, you know, those like meeting portfolios that are made of the basketball material um, for the W from mm-hmm. that time and um, a while back when I um, interviewed for a role with an NBA team I brought that with me to the interview oh that's so funny <laughs> yeah um, and I for whatever reason cannot like allow myself to move on from having that in my life it, it will probably be with me forever because I just thought it was so cool.
1: It is cool. It is cool.
0: How, um, when, you, when you left the W, you started your own company. Um, I do. Can we talk a little bit about what you were thinking when you were like, okay, let's do this?
1: I, you know, I was thinking like, hey, I'm going to create my own company. And I wanted, I had three buckets. I wanted to do work that was really meaningful, right? That was going to make a difference in the world. Again, thematically, yeah, still yeah. on point. Um, I wanted to do things with people I really respected and liked. I have come to appreciate that that is a driving force of um, happiness, satisfaction, and fulfillment. <laughs> um, and the third one is I wanted to have fun. And so I began to entertain projects that I could check off those three things.
0: Can you talk a little bit about the types of projects that you, you started to do? And-
1: like one of my favorite ones, um, thanks to Joe Starenka and actually the PGA of America, they had called, and it's funny, the phone just started ringing. And Joseph, he called and said, listen, um, he, at the time he was the CEO of the PGA of America, Of course, I've had a long history uh, uh, with golf, my husband's experience. So I feel like I am part of the golf family forever. And I Mm -hmm. love that. And um, they did a big study uh, that said, you know, in order to grow golf, which had been declining, they needed to really understand and look at one of their largest consumer markets, which were women. And, you know, golf is not about women. It hasn't been about women, although that's not to say that women haven't been a part of the sport. Right. But from a consumer retail perspective, not anywhere near the numbers that would match the research that would indicate women who were interested in participating in the game. And so he said, listen, we're going to create an initiative and would you lead it, not only on behalf of the PGA, but we want to grow it across the industry. And I said, I would love to do that. And, and so began a incredible project. I think some of my best work, I ended up actually authoring a book I called Connecting With Her, which was written for the industry on teaching them how to understand women, who they are, understand them as a consumer force, as a marketing segment, who they were. Some of the built-in, the built-in biases, both unconscious and conscious, that the industry held onto that prevented them from getting to this audience in a way that was meaningful. And then I did 18 months, you know, traveling across the country speaking to mostly groups of PGA professionals although larger industry groups on, you know, how to build this market and it was fantastic and I loved it. And I am hoping that we get to continue that um, today because we made really great strides, really great strides. And the lessons from that also applicable. I was invited to a hospital group that wanted to talk about, you know, their relationship with women, you know, Mm -hmm. not only Mm -hmm. as a consumer group because in the healthcare industry, Um, women represent a 30% spread, right? We are the CEOs of the healthcare of our family. So if you communicate with me in an effective and impactful way, not only do you get my business as a healthcare provider, but you get my family's business and that's a multiplier. So it's interesting. And also for their workforce, right? A large part of the healthcare industry are women, not enough of them at the top. Although we have Gail Boudreaux now um, doing a great job as a CEO um, you know, how do you deal with your employees who are women and that whole thing? So it it, it actually opened up a great window um, and then also led to my not-for-profit work as well. So it was it was a great project and um, I had several that were just, you know, really interesting.
0: I feel like that project, um, at, you know, at the time when it was done, you know, was was so unique and could... I mean, you could, I think we're at another like break point with women in as consumers and as fans and as employees. And it, it would be really interesting to see the, um, differences between, you know, now and then. Yes, 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 yes. I agree. I agree. Your, your nonprofit work, um, this is, this is Generation W and Generation Wow, correct?
1: And Generation Works. Yep. Yeah. So, and our book, Wow's Yep.
0: Yes. Which I love. So I love that Generation Wow, by the way, focuses on teens because yeah. I feel like there are so many different programs out there that focus on young, young girls, but not usually in the teens. Um, and so I think that that's so important. And then. I always love books that are, you know, meant to help develop young women. They just make me so happy.
1: Well, I'm so glad that it does. I, have you read it yet? I have to put you on the spot here because if you haven't, you really should. Right, it, based on my my guidance for the holidays, you need to read it for the holidays. It won't take you long, but it will. It will. It it, it, it speaks to the young girl in all of us. Hmm.
0: I haven't read it yet. Don't be mad. Okay, there you go. But I, you will. Go. I will. I will because I read. I. Every person who ends up coming on who has a book, I end up reading all their books. So okay. it won't just be that one that I end up getting, Donna. It'll be like, it'll be your, you know, the other one that you wrote um, that, you know, cause I'm going to just be, you know, in love with that one too, I think. So, um, but I do, you know, I, I think it's so great to be able to speak to those young women. Um can you talk about your programs and, you know, what it is that you focus on?
1: Sure, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, and I've said this before, the work for Generation W really grew out of, uh, you know, a lifetime of being a female athlete in a world that didn't necessarily value us as a more than category, but often a less than category. For me, it was a supercharged more than life. But um, but also being at the WNBA and learning you know, what it was like to really try to build a business about strong women and how much you learned about our society, our culture, about individuals, about leadership, um, all those things. And so when I came back home, I live in the South and um, there's a culture here. <laughs> and I, I knew that everywhere I went in the country, there were amazing people, both men and women, um, but especially women who needed an invitation to kind of step out. And so I wanted to create an idea platform in my, in my town of Jacksonville yeah. that was all about educating, inspiring, and connecting women, and then, and then making that connection to growing communities. So it wasn't just about women. It was about how women made communities better, which meant that we were going to connect with men, mm-hmm. of course. And then from that, it grew into girls. Because, uh, you know, at the heart of it, we are all still girls in our hearts. And I worry about girls. I worry about girls looking for love in all the wrong places in a supercharged, connective society that has this weaponized social media now Yeah, um, that we can hear about the good it does and it does. But I will tell you that, you know, in the trenches for girls, it is very destructive. And the more we connect technologically, I think there is an inverse relationship with our ability to connect authentically and humanly and so we kind of stepped out and did this little experiment on our gen w stage which now by the way over 1300 people attend at that time we had 950 women we said to these girls um who are you what's important to you how do we help you and that 30 to 40 minute conversation was so impactful we looked at each other and said okay we're going to launch generation wow which is a leadership mentorship program all built around the positive and the possible. You know, the leaders of today connecting with the leaders of tomorrow. And honestly, the growth has been extraordinary. And I think right now we're very much on the tip of that wave mm-hmm. that will move WOW to becoming a national platform of connection for teen girls. Oh, that's so that fantastic. That I am so excited about.
0: That is so fantastic, Donna. I mean, I every time I hear, you know, these programs, like uh, I'm, you know, friends with the local, um, not chapter, but the local council for Girls on the Run or for Girl Scouts um, and those women and, you know, the the work that we do with young girls and women, you know, young girls, um, teen girls, makes it so that later on we we don't necessarily have to do the work when they're adults, right? Because they have that yeah. base and that foundation where they know that they're worthy and they know that they can do anything that they want, you know, within obviously their own personal limitations, but it's it won't be because they're a girl or a woman. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know. It just makes me so happy. Um, oh, good. <laughs> uh Another little cool thing about you before we, we start wrapping up is you mentioned this a little bit earlier, kind of. You mentioned that you're spending some time on surfing. Yeah. How did you become a founding board member of the World Surf League? Isn't that cool? Yeah.
1: It's, I love this business. I love these people. I love the sport. Um well, I, I, you know, I had a friend who was an initial investor in the league as they were starting to build it. And They were looking for people who had experience, and you know, I have helped build two sports leagues, two sports businesses. Right. Right. I mean, the PGA Tour when I got there was certainly a lot smaller and less diversified than when I left. Um, the WNBA, clearly, the same kind of thing, and so therefore, uh, you know, with my experience in building those types of businesses. Um, Didn't mean I had to be a surfer at the point, but I do understand the unique cultural touch points that any business or sport would have. So I understood the sensitivities to that. I do, you know, I've lived on the ocean now for 25 years. I have a kid who's a surfer. I love the culture. And so um, I I was able to sit down with an incredible leadership team whose vision I loved. And uh, they invited me to become a part of... uh, this team that would help grow this business around the world that really is about changing the world, right? Here we go back to that fundamental thing about creating positive impact and change and a difference in the world. And that's what this sport can, does, and will do in greater measure. And I could, as you can tell, I'm so excited about it.
0: Oh, it was so cool when I first learned about it. Um, and I've actually interacted um, with um the head of the league I can't remember her name off the top of my head right now but we've uh, Sophie not,
1: Goldsmith is the, our CEO.
0: Okay so it's not her then Okay, it's someone else I'm sorry I can't remember her name now but we've emailed a couple times to try and get her on the pod but um, I can't remember who it is um, but when I saw that that was turning into a league I was like well oh, yeah that makes sense <laughs> like
1: yeah, yeah. Surfing no, so big. Surfing has been around for a long time. Yeah. Um, and it was no different than when tennis was around for a long time or golf. It has just now been embraced um, yeah. and elevated and with, you know, with the surfers um, into a really highly organized, um, focused effort to really create this um, enhance and not only world tour, but this whole lifestyle business that is incredibly motivating and inspiring.
0: Oh, my gosh. I can't wait to see what what they do. What how you help them. I mean, it's going to be really cool to watch. It is. It is I love watching watch. these. It
1: cool watch. it's, it's unbelievable to be a part of. And you know, you spoke about like you could say what can you do that's, you know, continues to teach you and grow and you're like, you know, this is this is wonderful. Really it is. And you know, this whole wave system, you know, the Kelly Slater wave system that is going to be changing the landscape of surfing or adding to it in a sense, right? Yeah. You add, you still change and still preserve the integrity of the ocean surf. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's really wonderful. Have you And challenging at the same time?
0: Right. Oh, I'm sure. Have you watched the um, documentary yet? Which one on Netflix that just came out?
1: Uh No, I have not.
0: I haven't you either. I'm going to have to say
1: that. You can't ask me that question. I can't say no. Right. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I have okay. To... That's all my li- I better add Netflix binging on my list. I'm writing it down right now. <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah. Um, what do you do by way of self-care?
1: Huh. What do I do by self-care? Um. Okay. A couple things. One, I try to get up every morning and do a little workout. It's not the workout that I would all be liking to do every day. I should do more and I should probably make that my New Year's resolution, not a novel one, but I do try to get up every morning and be active. Uh, so that's important to me. I love to read. So for me, either reading, and now like binging's taking a little bit of my reading time. I've noticed <laughs> that. And that's okay too, because I found some really great series that I feel do what reading do, which is open my mind to other ideas. They sure. allow me to be a time traveler without leaving my bed, which mm-hmm. I love. Um, So, those are things. And then, you know, you've got to do a manicure, pedicure at least, you know, at least once a month, hopefully more, but whatever I can fit in.
0: Yeah. So, uh, what are you reading right now?
1: Uh, Great question. I am reading Sapiens. And if you're a friend of mine, there's no doubt you know what I'm reading because I cannot stop talking about this history (laughs) of mankind. It is fantastic. And I just went to the bookstore, actually bought some books. Yeah. Uh, the follow-up novels for from from what this guy has written because it, it's it's it's, extraordinary.
0: it's really okay. extraordinary, And and what's the current series that you're binging?
1: Well, I just finished watching The Last Kingdom, which is, you know, I think uh, it's the time of the Vikings, the Danes, if they call them, hmm. and the burgeoning of Christianity in the form during the formation or the attempt to form a uh, to form England. Okay, love that. But now, of course, the second season to go flip, totally. The second season of The Wonderful Mrs. Maisel just came. Oh, out. I know. I love it. <laughs> so I have got to be able to do that. I do want to watch it with my husband, though, because I do enjoy that. And he's traveling, so he's killing yeah. me on this.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm a couple in, and it's it's great. It's great. Um, right? It's a good no, second really season.
1: And I, I don't know. I always keep a list wherever I go, people um you know, they make recommendations and I write them down. Yeah. My son wants me to watch Maniac. Uh, My other son, I'll see him soon. He'll have something else. And so it's always, it's always fun.
0: Do you have an app in your phone that you use to keep track of all that stuff?
1: Uh, So I have tried every productivity app I think there is. I I, I mean, seriously, I have have, uh, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. uh, Todoist. And honestly, I go back to my little notes thing and I write it down on that little pad. Yeah,
0: that's what I do too. I
1: I mean, I, I, honestly, I just write it on a piece of paper. Yeah. That's my app.
0: Um, so uh, I, as you shamed me, did a one-click purchase on Amazon of Wowsdom. So uh, Wowsdom can be found on Amazon, yes, everyone. And then um, tell my listeners...
1: The, the other thing we talk about Wowsdom, which is the Girl's Guide to the Positive and the Possible... We ask the question, what happens when you join the Unite, the wow of girls and the wisdom of women? You get wowsdom. It's built on this fundamental belief that we have so much to learn from each other intergenerationally, interculturally. You know, if we live together when we're young, we learn together when we're young, then we're going to lead together as we grow old. And our communities are in desperate need of quality leadership that is united, but not necessarily uniform. Right. I just learned that phrase at a at talk I gave this uh, this week earlier. And, um, and that's what me. Wow! It's based on these letters to my younger and older self. It's beautifully illustrated. It is life lessons, the ones that you don't learn in school. It's wrapped in six, I guess, 60 additional lessons from incredibly accomplished people uh, of really different backgrounds that help us, you know, live better lives. We want our girls to live. We want, we want to help them on their journeys so they don't have to say, I wish I would have known. Right. We want them to know that they're not alone and we want them to know that they can do this thing called life. And that's what I took away from this book. And so um, we do have this thing about share the wow. So if people want to buy, let's say, 100 copies for a school or a girls club or anyone special in their community, they can call our office at 904 372 you know, uh, Generation W. You can look it up. Um, and make a donation to get those books and distribute them because everything we bring in um, supports girls and women's leadership work.
0: That's amazing, um, and we'll make sure we link all of these things. Um, and tell everybody where they can follow you, and also where they can follow Generation W. Oh,
1: that's a good thing, you know. And uh, so, you know, I, I am. I think everyone has a place they're most active. I am most active on Twitter. And that would be at, at I think it's at Donna Ornder. Uh, also Instagram, which is, I think, at D Ornder. But if you type in my name, it will come up. Um, Facebook, I mean, there's stuff there all the time. It's not my first go-to place, but I will check it. And I think that's also at D Ornder. Uh, so that's
0: pretty much where you can find me. And LinkedIn, you do some articles from time oh, to time. yeah, uh, definitely
1: LinkedIn. And I am activate, I am super activating on LinkedIn at this point in time. I do like that as a channel very yeah. much.
0: And then Generation W? Generation
1: W, our website is uh, gen, you know, G-E-N-W now.com. Uh, Great. And you can find our wow work under there as well, although we do have a separate wow now.com as well. Um, and we're going to be working on building out a national, really huge digital hub, you know, a connecting home for teen girls and mentorship and leadership. Uh, probably that will be our next six month project.
0: That's awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Donna.
1: Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate I, appreciate, I, I just got to tell you, I honestly appreciate uh, the research you did and kind of you know, finding some of those interesting way back when facts that sparked my memory. And I realized it was a joy to actually uh, talk with you about some of those things. So thank you.
0: I'm so happy that I got to spend time with um, Donna speaking to her and learning about her past. She had so many good little nuggets that I took away. I hope you found something to take away as well. Don't forget to check us out on social, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Pod. And you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Show notes are available at RadioInfluence.com and will be on LTPFpod.com in the coming weeks. Our redesign of the website is moving along nicely and I can't wait for you all to see it. This episode was, well, written kind of, <laughs> and produced by myself. Editing, audio engineering, and design were done by Jerry P. Tuck at Radio Influence. And Leveling the Playing Field is a part of the Radio Influence podcast network. Hello, pretty ladies. I'm Talia Keane, your co-host of Instant Pretty Podcast. And I'm the other co-host, Abby Kiefer. Our aim is to inform the public of current beauty trends and dig into the science, application, purpose, and average pricing for beauty services. Instant Pretty will be available on RadioInfluence.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play.